This is a shock podcast. Shock. We got we got awkward <laughs> silence in the studio. <laughs> Everyone looking at me. Uh, but yeah, Perez as well, just being like, I'm gonna keep walking down. Yeah. <laughs> I think Again, the fans had a good laugh on that one. Unnecessary. No, absolutely unnecessary. Like, um, Americans just like to do things so extravagant. Nothing against them. But, you know, you're talking about commentators. I just had a had a sort of like a blip in my thoughts. Imagine when the day comes when Martin Brundle stops commentating for Formula 1. I will stop watching Formula 1. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I thought you already have. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Suited and Booted, the Formula One podcast. We have just wrapped up Las Vegas, Sin City. Uh, my name is Daniel Woodruff and with me in the studio we have... Wayron Tan. And only Wayron Tan because Jasmine is... MIA. MIA. We don't... Come back. We don't know where you are. I think you're still in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> Mentally, we are as well. Uh, but speaking of casinos and, and street races, you have been MIA as well, Ron. Uh, but you were in Macau, Asia's own version of, well, I'd say Asia's own version of Monaco, but I guess very similar to Vegas. Well, I think Macau is like the real Las Vegas. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a much cleaner version. Tell us more um, about it. I mean, Macau was great. We had two weekends, um, GT racing, touring cars, all sort like two wheels, motorbikes as well. First weekend for amateurs, second weekend for the pro, they call it the World Cup. So you have all the pro drivers from all the manufacturers coming over. I mean, Macau is like a real driver's driver's track, right? Like it is notoriously the most dangerous circuit on earth. I mean, okay, look, I'm not going to count like Isle of Man TT. I mean, that's that's not a circuit that's literally like the whole island with a bunch of blokes racing motorbikes flying off of cliffs and stuff. But Macau street circuit, super tight, as you say. I mean, unfortunately, accidents aren't uncommon deaths aren't uncommon either i mean i feel like yeah i mean historically especially for the motorbike races um there has always been like on average a death a year uh, just because it's so dangerous but every racing fan out there in the world would know about macau if they're real racing fans yeah they all know about macau yeah yeah and now we've got all of these new racing fans that might not know about macau because they learn about Las Vegas. F1 through <laughs> Netflix. And yeah, so the, the, I guess the closest experience that they're, they're going to have is, if not Monaco, it's going to be Vegas. I know this has been such a hyped up weekend. We've been talking about it so much. Everybody's just been talking about it. There's been so much money that's been pumped in. But I don't know. The reception has been really up and down. It really started off on the worst foot possible. I mean, like, if I was part of the organizing team, I used to do events. Like, I can only imagine the anxiety and stress that they're going through. They didn't have a great start to the whole weekend. Like, if we just look at... <laughs> I think even before we go to the weekend, let's have a look at the track map. Yeah, let's, like- <laughs> let's, talk, about the, let's talk about the circuit itself. Yeah, yeah. Whoever who drew that or whoever who, you know, planned the entire circuit going round, I don't think they saw the whole picture um, until someone pointed it out, like, too late. Like, we're at the race weekend now and it looks like an upside down pig. <laughs> I mean, I, it's it's not a Herman Tilker track, right? I mean, you're you're, you're kind of you're 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 stuck with the streets that that you do have. Mm-hmm. I thought it looked like a fun track to drive, mm-hmm. you know, to like just put in pure laps. But is it a good track for racing? Let, let's go down this this rabbit hole. I do want to have this conversation with you because we're seeing more and more street circuits come into Formula One, 
And we know why Formula One's doing it, right? It's a way to bring yourself closer to fans in new markets. You want to acquire a larger fan base, but this is an easier way to do it without building an A-grade FIA-certified Formula One circuit that you then have to maintain for the rest of the year, right? But are these the circuits that we really want to see on the calendar? You know, Formula One, after being taken over by this American company... Um, Liberty Media. Liberty Media. They want to push the barrier. They want to bring something new, get the new audience excited. And I think the direction that they're moving towards is, is the right one um, to create something special. I personally think Las Vegas was a bit of a rush. Um, you know, they were rushing to get the grandstands up. They were rushing to build the circuit in time, um, put the barriers up. And as we saw at the start of the weekend, you know, FP1 wasn't great. Manhole covers flying about, um, yeah. destroying cars. <laughs> but if you look from the bigger picture, I think, yeah, I think it's a great concept to have. I just think they needed more time to plan for it and not rush into it and say, all right, we're going to, we don't even have the infrastructure ready yet, but we're just going to go ahead and do it anyway. And then they started the prices at, you know, super expensive. So expensive. Nobody wanted to buy them. And at the end, you know, they realized, oh my God, like no one's buying our tickets. So then they dropped the prices like more than 50%, I think, um, which is not really the way or, you know, the way to approach it. Formula One should be accessible to everyone. They, they have the paddock clubs, which are the expensive passes and leave it as, as that. But the grandstand passes should be affordable to everyone. That's yeah. that's how I feel. Yeah, I mean, that I think that's what MotoGP does very, very well. I've, I've been to a few MotoGP races here at, at, at Sepang. I mean, I paid like 90 ringgit and this was obviously years and years ago, but 90 bucks to be in a grandstand watching incredible racing, right? Yep. And then you contrast that to Formula One. And I think for the same, the exact same seats, you know, you're paying like a grand. Yeah. It's just, it's just not accessible. And yep. that, that is the problem. I, I mean, I, I get, I get that they need to make their money back from building the track and spending so much money with, you know, building the whole infrastructure, but they shouldn't focus on getting the money back from ticket sales, um, but more so on like attracting more tourists to come over and just spend money elsewhere, um, whether it's shopping, F&B, um, casinos in Las Vegas, you know, that's where they should be spending the money, not on the F1 tickets itself. I mean, you were, you were talking about planning, right? And it's like, I feel like they did have a lot of time to plan because they, the agenda that the teams and the drivers had to go through, I think for this weekend was unparalleled, right? You're, you're hearing team principals, Christian Horner, he was basically saying in an interview, he's like, we're leaving this race weekend with the F word, right? He's mm -hmm. like, I'm, I'm exhausted. The drivers are exhausted. They had all these borderline unnecessary events it was like a nfl what's the it was like a, like a super, super bowl, bowl event yeah. you know mm -hmm. concerts and, i mean i know f1 always has concerts but this was like a whole other level clearly there was a lot of planning for that but again it's just kind of you're, you're putting your effort into maybe the wrong thing so i guess going back to my question it's like you can do all these exciting things and i think we would have been excited for vegas even without that because there's so much that vegas has to offer as a party weekend that you, mm -hmm. you didn't have to add on to it but don't they need to focus a bit more on the fundamentals, right? Like better track layouts, better racing. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a bit fatigued as a as a racing driver with these street circuits. Yeah. You know, it's something that IndyCar does. Mm -hmm. It's something that Formula E does. You got these super tight, narrow tracks, and if you're in pole position, a lot of the time you can maintain yourself at the front. And the cars are just so big and wide, right? So it's kind of like you don't see the. It's not like having a street race when you're racing go karts, because that's wild. That's mm -hmm. mega. You know, you're gonna have mad overtakes. 
just loads of action. But in Formula One, it just it's I don't know. Difficult. I miss the I miss the big circuits. Yeah, if if Formula One was like in the past with less arrow, mm. then potentially it could be way more exciting. Yes, right. But now they rely so heavily on on arrow. They don't have straights long enough to make the overtakes. They don't have enough traction as well to to get up to speed of of what the car is fully capable of. It's yeah, it's a bit of a nightmare, really. And 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 again, the the cars are too big, right? And and when you compare the overtakes, I I think this is something that fans do kind of miss out on because they 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 don't see it. But it's like when you grow up as a racing driver and you start in go karts and then you move to to the junior formula series you get crazy overtakes mm-hmm. because you've got smaller cars, you have very limited downforce, you can maximize the tires, you don't have to conserve tire wear. So you're chucking it on the inside, you're dive bombing, and it's just super close throughout the field, right? Yeah. But then in Formula 1, you see like, oh, this is the overtake of, of the race. And it's like someone just overtaking on a straight line based off pure engine power yeah. or getting a good exit. And I'm like, yeah. actually, as a driver, that required a lot less skill than what we are Agreed. accustomed to in the in the lower formula. So this is what like I'm craving. I think people also forget. Let, let's take Monaco for uh, as an example of a street track. The difference with Monaco and Las Vegas is Monaco has decades of historical value and, and, and story behind yeah. it, right? Cars, Formula One cars that used to race there in the past didn't even have wings. And the cars were a lot smaller. Thin, so, they, they used to say skinny tires, fat drivers. Exactly. Back then. Yeah, exactly. Now it's fat tires, skinny drivers. Yeah. So it, it's completely different. That, that's what you don't realize. The track hasn't changed. The layout hasn't changed. The width hasn't changed. But the cars have evolved so much. How many overtakes do you see over the course of a weekend at Monaco? Like close to zero. Yeah, Probably at zero. the start, if someone crashes out and like that's it. Yeah. It maintains the same uh, everywhere else. But Monaco, it still is like the most popular track because it's Monaco. It's historic. You can't just pluck a city I want to go to. Let's create a street track there and make it the best thing ever. I don't think it works that way. Singapore's also a bit different. It has a bit of history behind it. Uh, but also the track layout's very different from from Las Vegas. But I, I guess with Singapore as well, you have that geographical advantage, right? True. If if you were someone with enough money to travel all the way to Asia, you're gonna go to Singapore, True. right? It's a hub for your next travel. It links you up to the rest of Asia. Mm-hmm. It's something that maybe Westerners are a bit more comfortable with yep. in terms of going to Asia. That you, you don't want to go to something a bit more mm-hmm. risky, like say Vietnam, right? Because they're going to have the Vietnam Grand Prix. Yep. Whereas with America, with Vegas, if you have money to travel to any city or state in the U.S. to watch a race, you're spoilt for choice yep. because you've got Texas, you've got Miami, mm-hmm. and now you have Vegas, right? So, and and it's third in line. So by that point, your local audience is pretty fatigued. Yeah. And for the rest of the world, getting to America is so yeah. so hard. Exactly. I mean for us to go there you're traveling what over 24 hours yeah the track that they built for miami um the street track that they built for miami i think it's good enough to have one in each continent or one in Mm. each you know you were mentioning geographical locations i think that's good enough just having one you don't need to have another one america's big we get it yeah but you know (laughs) still you don't need to have another one probably about three, four hours from the a current existing one. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, they, they clearly know that Americans have that spending power. So they know that even moving a few states over will expose yourself to a huge market of opportunity and money. But I, I think it's all agree. the tourists that are spending there. Yeah, not so much locals. Exactly. And <laughs> Hamilton actually raised this in an interview a few days ago. He was like, we have races on every other continent except Africa. And that's a very, very good point. That's true. 
And we used to have Kyalami in South Africa, yep. fantastic track that has just been renovated. Well, I mean, a few years ago, so mm-hmm. it's still pretty fresh. Uh, I don't know if it has an FIA Grade A certification. I think the MotoGP. I've started going back there. I think MotoGP has a lower FIA Grade certification yep. requirement. But exactly that. Why are we having three, four races in in the U.S. and none none in Africa? I completely agree. I mean, obviously, should, it's, that, it's money talks. Yeah, right? that's one thing but they should at least have one. Completely agree. And remove a couple of other races from the calendar. It, it's too, from the it's US. Too, remove too it many. from the US. Yeah, remove them from the US. Yeah, it's, it, we, we're, I think everybody agrees that there's just far too many races now. Anyway, I feel like we just had a complete bashing session of the, yeah. the Vegas Grand Prix. We are following the emotions that Max Verstappen went through. He too was bashing the Vegas Grand Prix pretty much the whole time. Every interview was sarcastic, passive-aggressive. But Homeboy decided that when he wins the Grand Prix, suddenly he decides that it's I love a fantastic weekend. Yeah, I love it. I can't <laughs> wait to come back next year. I mean, that's uh, just typical before Max Verstappen behavior. <laughs> what did he say before? 99% show, 1% race. That's, yes, that's what he said exactly. before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Max Verstappen is the show. But yes, a lot of shows, a lot of events, there were fancy liveries on all of the cars. Mm-hmm. I think the Alpha Tori one was my favorite. Uh, new helmets, that's expected. New racing suits, Ferrari's fashion department once again just <laughs> completely failing at their jobs. Um, <laughs> someone, <laughs> someone needs to do something about it. There, there were spectators dressed in Ferrari uh, merchandise, uh, wearing clown faces. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a there was a meme going around. <laughs> uh, at least they didn't look like minions this time. No, they look better than the crew for sure. <laughs> yeah. Jacques Villeneuve getting married at a chapel in Vegas over the weekend. What was that about? Yeah, co- well, yeah, congratulations. Sh- shotgun <laughs> wedding. It's it's on my list. And we Okay, look, I'm I'm not a fan of these American commentators. Uh when you do watch the videos online, I it I I feel like it's quite a bit of a turn-off. For, Formula One commentary requires a British voice, you know. But the one American commentator that I will make an exception for is a UFC or boxing commentator going, Sergio Checo <laughs> Perez! And then awkward silence. Just, <laughs> we, got, we got awkward <laughs> silence in the studio. Everyone looking at me. Uh, but yeah, Perez as well, just being like, I'm going to keep walking down. Yeah. <laughs> I think Again, the fans had a good laugh on that one. Un- unnecessary. No, absolutely unnecessary. Like um, Americans just like to do things so extravagant. Nothing against them. But, you know, you're talking about commentators. I just had a, had a sort of like a blip in my, in my thoughts. Imagine when the day comes when Martin Brundle stops commentating for Formula 1. I will stop watching Formula 1. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I thought you already have. <laughs> I mean, his son, his son's going to take it on. They sound kind of the same, but still still too too different. It's like the OGs, you know? Yeah, it's got to be the OGs. You need his like ballsy track walk where he just doesn't give a toss about any celebrity and just <laughs> is so thick-skinned. Yeah. Maybe that could be us one day. Oh, shock podcast! You listening? We could do track walks one day. Yeah. So if you vote for us, oh my god, as yes, the <laughs> number one podcast on Guys, shock. <laughs> vote for us. We are in the running to be the best podcast of the year for Anugara Shock. You can do five votes a day per device. So don't say you just voted for us five times a day. Y- y'all, I know y'all have laptops. Y'all have iPads. That's at least, fi- my maths isn't good, but that's at least 15 a and day. Stand a chance to win a VIP grid walk with us. On if Evolt, we do win. At Evolt, a VIP <laughs> grid walk at Evolt. 
strike walk from the man himself. You oh, know, yeah. We, we've been trying to push Evolt to give us some freebies this whole time, but maybe if we win, maybe Ron will finally be inclined to do something. I might feel generous. Maybe, but he has to win. So, Ron, Ron has to win, yes. otherwise he's not going not to be generous. <laughs> well, if you're in first, you're last. You're last. You're last. <laughs> and right now, I think we're, we're last. Yeah, so please vote for us. Um, vote for us. We need your help and we need your vote. Let's talk. Commercial break over. Let's go back yeah, to it. Yeah. <laughs> back to the action. Usually we, we skim over practice sessions, but um, the action started within the first eight minutes of P1. Poor old Carlos Sainz driving over a, I mean, they call it a manhole cover, but really it was like less than this. It was like half a foot. So it's like, you know. They forgot to bolt that down to the ground. Well, no, they, they, um, they did. They cemented it. But the downforce on the underside of these cars is just so strong. I mean, we've seen this before at Baku. We've mm-hmm. seen it on, you know, we've seen it at Sepang. Yeah, we've seen it in Shanghai. I guess in in a good way, it also shows the audience. Imagine how heavy a manhole cover is. Like lifting it yourself, yeah, is almost impossible for the average human being. And imagine a car driving past it and lifting it up by the sheer force of the downforce that the cars can produce. I think it, it it's a statement to show how planted these cars are and how much force they produce. Yeah. So that that was nice to see, but it was bad. <laughs> obviously it wasn't very nice it was for cars. Nice to see. <laughs> <laughs> it was like wow. Was, uh, yeah, I mean it was it was I guess it was cool to watch the onboard, but it was yeah. so painful. Uh, we it were was. talking about this before the show. I mean. So the damage was to his chassis, which is massive. I mean, it's basically the, the, the skeleton whole of the car. Mm-hmm. You've got the engine and you've got the battery. So basically three of the most expensive parts that you could think of, excluding the driver, completely damaged. But, you know, when you watch the onboard, it could have been the driver. If it was five inches earlier. If, if that. If that, hitting the driver's bottom, like right at the bottom where the driver's seating. Yeah, uh, I think you and I both agree. Uh, Carlos will be hospitalized for sure. Um, if, spine if is not gone. worse. Yeah. I, 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 so many people haven't sat in a race car or, or, or a Formula car, right? So, so even people listening to this that have sat in, a, like I say, a GT car or, or whatever, like you guys have normal seats and sometimes they have a very thin layer of padding or like uh, felt or, or what, like, a, like a material on top to kind of cushion you a little bit. In a Formula car, you are literally sat in a, you're, you're sat in a foam mold of your body but where your butt touches the bottom of the car, you're just on straight carbon fiber. There, and, there is nothing there. And you're inches off the ground. You're inches right. off the ground and you have a couple of sheets of carbon fiber between you and, and the ground. So exactly as you say, if this manhole cover drain thing, it wasn't a manhole cover. It was it was like a, it covered like a water pipe or something. So it was slightly smaller. So it was kind of like a bullet, yeah. right? A shotgun pellet firing up. And if that hit you into your tailbone, which is at the perfect angle that goes straight up your spine i mean i i don't want to think about it anymore but yeah i mean Carlos use your Sainz, imagination but you you know what happens i guess he came out lucky he um, came out really lucky um he was unharmed the car was obviously completely destroyed uh, eight minutes into fp1 and because of the manhole cover incident they had to red flag the entire session nobody out back on track and fp2 was delayed for another two and a half hours yeah which affected fans um, and they got a the, refund. Well, no, they got a they got a two hundred dollar merchandise <laughs> gift card or something. After they realize what they've done, because they sent everyone home instead of just letting them. Like the fans could have stayed on, and I think they would have. You know, they're just having a good time. But it was also um, so late. It was also late. Like they, and they, cold. It was late, <laughs> cold. But I think you know the fans were just having a good time amongst themselves. Like they would have stayed on even if it was delayed for two and a half hours. Yeah. But to send them home. 
sending ticket holders home is never a good sight. Having FP2 with no one watching, not great. Yeah, not great on TV. and they had all these like flashing lights in the grandstand to make it look like there were people yeah. there actually taking photos. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a little bit cringe. Um, but at the end of the day, science got slapped with a penalty. Um, yes. So I don't know. So we disagree on this. Let's let's discuss it. Do you think that the penalty on signs is fair? Because he okay. So basically, he had run out of allocation of spare parts. So mm-hmm. when he did have to replace his his power unit, mm-hmm. as the rules state, he had to have a penalty. So I disagree with the penalty on the basis that this was you know purely uh, not in his control. Um, it was not the team's fault. It was not his fault. It was Formula One's fault for not making sure that the track was safe enough for these kind of incidents happening. So if it was um, something that was not within the driver's control, I feel that whatever changes they need to make... Well, think about this. The team has to sustain so much damage and so much cost to replace these items on the car. And on top of that, to slap them with a penalty, I feel that is just unjust. Like, hey, come on. We were just doing what we do every weekend... Um, this happened to us unluckily and now you want to give us a penalty like from that point of view I think it's a little bit unjust fair enough do I think it's unfair yes Um, so you agree with me well no I think it's unfair (laughs) do I think there'll be a lawsuit for Ferrari to at least try to claim back some of the damages they had to incur 100% -hmm. do I think that the FIA did made the right decision within the current context of rules that exist yes and that's why i agree it's fair because the rules aren't that extended right for for all these specific scenarios and unfortunately the rules these are the types of rules that can only be written after these types of incidents happen and i think that if the fia made an exception in this case i think it really opens up a gray area in the future right what if somebody else crashes into you and you say it wasn't my fault you said it wasn't carlos Sainz's fault and you let him off why didn't you let me off with a with a with this penalty um, what if we have Nelson PK Jr. scenario with Crashgate where you intentionally, unintentionally crash into the wall because you, you know, I don't know, you want to replace some bits or, or whatever. And then you Fair say enough. it wasn't your fault. Fair enough. Th- then you get into this whole slippery slope. So I yeah. guess in that context, I think it was the right decision, but I don't think it was fair. And if I was Carlos Sainz, I mean, yeah, I'd be mega depresso. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think that makes sense. Rules are rules. The FI also has a responsibility not to break those rules. So yeah, it's a bit of a tough one, really. Super tough. Again, I I think... I wouldn't want to work for the FIA or just yes. doing that job because yeah. you just end up getting like death threats and, <laughs> and just hate all the time. You can never make a decision that will make everybody happy. Yeah. But I think for once in recent history, they've made the right decision. Um, looking forward to the rest of the practice sessions. Honestly, it was just the drivers getting to grips with with the track. Uh, lots of lockups, a couple people tagging the wall, Albon smashing the wall in P3 with one of his tires going rogue. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody likes to see that. I feel like everybody's an Albon fan. Um, so Albon in the wall but let's look forward to qualifying I know that this was a track that the McLarens were already going to just dread right it's a low downforce track they know their car wasn't going to work and ultimately that manifested itself in both of um, both of them being knocked out in Q1 yeah they they were diabolical the entire weekend Um, zero pace they were absolutely nowhere and I think They've got a lot of work to do. They need to be able to be able to adapt to different scenarios, whether it's a high downforce or low downforce circuit, just like Red Bull and Ferrari does. You know, wherever, whatever circuit that they rock up to, they're pretty set. Um, yeah. They're always in the window. And I think McLaren has found something this year, but they still have a long road ahead. 
Now, a team that has just once again pulled it out of the bag, Williams. Oh, wow. Albon P6, Sergeant P7. I really want to focus on Sergeant after we talk about the race, because uh, I think there's a lot to unpack there, particularly as we come to the end of the season. And we're, <laughs> we're going to be talking about the futures of, of new drivers and the, and the whole prep. Suddenly, he's not on my bin list anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well done, Logan. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He just pulled it out of the bag. <laughs> That's why I was asking you, who shall we bin <laughs> this time round? <laughs> it's always Sergeant. Now, now I can't see him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, the the top ten in qualifying looked pretty pretty interesting. It was this kind of underdog top ten. I mean, we had Leclerc, Sainz, Ferrari one two, Verstappen P three, and then P four onwards is where it gets interesting. We had Russell. Gasly, hmm. Albon Sargent, Bottas Magnussen, and then Alonso with Perez rounding out the top 11. It's quite a good mix. Quite a good yeah. mix of midfield teams. And that that's what I love to see. On paper, yeah. it looks great. Yeah. Of course, the race, slightly different results. Perez regaining a little bit of talent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy for him during the race to be able to make sure he's in a position not taking bold, risky moves to secure P2 in the championship. Um, and ultimately, that's what's important for him and the team. So, um, you know, he's also not on the bin list this time. He's good. <laughs> he's good. And yeah, he gave, I think he gave the audience a really good uh, uh, show fighting with Leclerc up until the very last lap. Doesn't matter if he comes third as long as he wins the overall champion, uh, sorry, comes P2 in the overall championship. So let's talk more about Checo then. So he started P11 and he finished the race in P2. And it does beg the the question, has Checo done enough at this point in the season? I mean, we have been on bash patrol with Mm -hmm. Perez since day one of this season. Has he done enough to deserve his seat for next year? I think he's he's done the bare minimum. Um, He's done all the hard work at the start of the season, like probably the first six, seven races. And after that, just tumbled down completely. But luckily for him, everyone else was fighting in between. Uh, teams were struggling. Teams were gaining places. You know, Checo was sort of pretty comfortable in P2 for, for, for quite a while. But yes, he's done the job. He's done the job. He's P2. So Rebel P1, P2, one Constructors' Championship. But the gap between him and Verstappen is just insane. I don't think ever in the history of Formula 1 you have such a big gap between p1 and p2 in the championship either that goes to show verstappen is in a wall of his own or paris is just not doing a good enough job in the car that he's given it's very clear that perez is not world championship material Mm -hmm. but i don't think that's the question anybody's asking right we have always been asking is he doing enough to be that p2 driver i think at this point in the season he has done enough right because he has more or less secured p2 in the championship and Mm -hmm. that is his job yeah did he stumble fall trip up mess up on the way there 100 percent but your trade-off is that you have a driver that fights with Pete, your number one driver to the point where mm-hmm. it causes disruption and disharmony in the team, where you potentially lose more points, mm-hmm. or you have a P2 driver that is just so far behind, but your car is so competitive that they're, you're, you're ahead of the rest. Yeah. So it's tough, right? And then your third consideration is, is this a driver that has huge commercial value? Uh, I think... Which he does. He does. A huge commercial value and he brings a lot of sponsorship to the team. But I think at the end of the day, Dan, 
it doesn't matter whether he fumbles in the middle or or how how the season goes as long as he gets the job done as long as he secures p2 in the championship uh, whatever his goal was set uh, the results are the results and i think that's all the team cares about as long as you get it done no matter how you get it done that's all that matters so let's talk about another driver that has a lot of commercial value uh and see if he's done enough logan Sargent. i mean I guess Has he got commercial value? You've got three American races Ooh. a year now, right? So True. I, I guess, I mean, yeah, yeah, he does, right? <laughs> full, full stop. I mean, who else is the American media going to be focusing on more than anyone else? It's going to be Sargent, particularly when he puts in a decent performance finally, mm-hmm. you know, last weekend, and he's finally done it on home soil. I, I think he's just enough. He, st- he still didn't beat Albon. So again, it's a very similar conversation in the sense that you're not discussing whether he's the number one driver in the team. Mm-hmm. He really, really is not. Albon is is head and shoulders above him in every single way. But he's had a good enough run. But do you think like one race is good enough to justify that? Because, it, you know, we've been we've been trashing Logan for the whole, pretty much the entire season. Bad race, bad race, bad race. Suddenly one good race and we're like, ooh, maybe Sargent's got a chance. Like maybe he's not doing so bad. Like how quickly things turn around. Do you reckon teams would also be thinking the same way? Or they'll be looking, look, you had one good race. But for the last 15, you've been absolutely nowhere. And that's not good enough for us. I think you have to look at it in the context of what team you're talking about, right? If you're talking about a Red Bull, where they're so far ahead in development, in funding, it's a completely different story. But I'm going to put my James Vols hat on. Who, (laughs) by the way, just got on Instagram. So y'all better follow him. You are in the middle of a business turnaround. You're running a racing team. You're in the middle of a turnaround. You're forecasting progress over the next three to five years. You're not looking for immediate success, right? Mm -hmm. So he's playing the long game. And when you're in the middle of this development phase and you are one of the smallest teams on the grid with the smallest budgets, with the smallest factories, you need to have a driver that can perform. And I think they do have faith in him, or at least they say it and are lying between their teeth. But you need that money as well. Yeah. And if you have that many American races, and if he can have a good American race, which he has, imagine what the multiplier effect is. Yeah. Right. It's good PR, isn't it? Yeah. He's had an awful season, but then if you get a good result on your home Grand Prix, does that account for, does that make up for everything else? Does that allow Williams to go and get more sponsors for next year? They probably had a lot of sponsor meetings lined up this weekend, right? I, I think I think it does, especially in America. They're very patriotic. They yeah. see an American driver. Ooh, he did really well. All right, let's give you more money. Yeah, and and you talk about the reality of sponsorship. Sponsorship can be the let's sit down in a formal boardroom type thing, but sponsorship is also let's take the guy out, let's party, let's make friends, and let's make quote unquote gentlemen's deal. You yeah, know, I don't mean yeah. to come off as like patriarchal or anything, but yeah. that, that's how work how it works. And if you're flying in these people on private jets to Las Vegas, yeah, you know, I, I just saw this um like short documentary on like money in Formula One. I think it was by CNBC or something. And it was quite interesting because you hear it straight from the mouths of these guys, whether it's James Vowles, Zach Brown, mm. Toto Wolf, Christian Horner. And they were talking about a, you know various couple of things like the cost involved in doing a full Formula One program, the cost to build cars. They, then they touched on the point of sponsorship as well, like how it all works. And it's quite interesting. And I think you, know, you guys should, should probably tune in on that as well when they talked about sponsorship, it's not just going up to a company begging for money to go racing. What what they actually do is they go to these companies and they ask them, what value can I bring to you? What can I do for you? 
Do you want to increase sales? How can we go about that? And they sort of, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, and we make things work. And that's sort of how, and I think that's where Zach Brown is so good at. It's what it, what he's known for. He is yeah. the sponsorship king. Yeah. Since since junior Formula days. I mean, that's ultimately how he got in into Formula One mm-hmm. with amazing partnerships. I mean, the, the the whole Google Chrome partnership that they had with McLaren as well. Just, just the branding on the car, I thought was fantastic. Yeah. But yeah, I, I completely agree. It's about generating commercial value. It's not, it, it's saying, how can we be a partnership and not just you giving me a bunch of money to slap your logo on my car, which yeah. that in of itself doesn't actually generate generate a lot of value so yeah i think i think logan has his value i'm going to flip it back to red bull i want to talk about whether verstappen is actually a good team player right in i know in malaysia we say like there's the term lalang right like lalang you're kind of like back and forth with your opinions he was very lalang with his opinion on the las vegas grand prix and that kind of gives you an inkling of his personality let's talk about whether he's actually a good teammate there was one scenario in the race where they actually asked Verstappen so far in the lead to kind of back off a little bit to give Checo DRS so that he could help defend against Leclerc, right? And ultimately, he couldn't defend against Leclerc and he ended up getting pipped out on the last lap, Mm -hmm. which was something that maybe could have been avoided. And Verstappen was like, okay, I'll try. Slows down to about two seconds. So you're not even in DRS range. Then yeah, your teammate loses P3. You've already secured the world championship. Yep. And you need to support your your yeah. teammate, and, and yeah. he just doesn't. Well, I, I think it's also a tricky one. I, I agree. I think there was more he could have done, uh, maybe something more deliberate, like really slow down, let Checo get into your DRS zone and, and sort of keep Leclerc behind. We saw that between Carlos and, and Lando, I believe, uh, earlier in the season where they, it was an unspoken rule, but they knew to sort of like help each other out. Mm. And, and they were from different teams, but because they had that bond when they were in McLaren before, I think they kind of knew like what was going on. Um, Carlos did that, I believe. But with Max, I think he can be a, a good team player to a certain extent. When it's for him. <laughs> when it's for, yeah, when it's for him. But at the end of the day, when the helmet goes on, the only thing he thinks about is winning. And that's why he's a three-time world champion. And that's why he has an unbeatable record. You know, it's like his first comment. You know, he hates it. The whole opening ceremony, the whole parade. Um, he said it's ninety nine percent show, one percent race. Like he didn't, he had enough of all of that. He just wants to go race. But yeah, I, I feel like champions are abrasive, and I think a lot of people don't actually like champions. You know, like I don't think Michael Schumacher was the nicest guy. Yeah, he he wasn't the nicest guy. He was the most controversial guy on track, and yeah. everybody hated the way he drives. But he won. Yeah. At the end of the day, no one remembers that after you've won seven world titles. Exactly. Exactly. It does. Uh, I've, I've had disagreements with people in the past about this before, but I think it does take a degree of cockiness, arrogance, abrasiveness to truly, truly, truly be the world's best to, yeah. to Max's level, right? You can't care about anybody else except yourself. It's like that saying, nice guys finish last. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And Your dating life didn't turn out too bad. Well, I'm last because I'm a nice guy. <laughs> And that's why Ron doesn't race anymore. <laughs> but yeah, these these guys are... It was the same thing with Lewis Hamilton, actually, not so long ago as well. Nobody likes right? him, actually. Nobody I, get, likes I hear him. a lot that he's not a nice guy. Yeah. And, I, and Malaysian fans particularly just get heartbroken when they hear this. Yeah. I think he's a genuine guy. He might look like come off cocky, but it's just who he is. Um, he needs to have that composure on track. 
Um, he needs to be like he's there's there's a reason why he's also a seven time world champion. Yeah. Right. You need to have that edge. They don't care if people like or dislike them. They just go there and do the job. And in a way, a little bit selfish. But you have to be selfish yeah. um, if you want to win at the sport. But then you've got um, Checo on the other hand. That I don't know. It just seems like a nice guy that I'd want to have a barbecue with. Yeah, that's why he hasn't Mexico. won a world champion championship. Yeah, exactly. You know, he just he just he's a dad now. Yeah. He's got kids. He's probably got a bit more empathy. <laughs> all these all these lovely traits that make a well rounded human being, but just yeah. completely shoots yourself in the foot when you're trying to win a win a world championship. <laughs> I mean, okay, like okay, I, I don't want to dabble on it too much, but again, my guy Perez had the lead. Let's let's not forget this. He oh he's your guy now, eh? <laughs> my guy in this particular context, and then he's he's not my guy anymore. My guy got the lead, and then he lost the lead, so he's not my guy anymore. <laughs> but you you had the opportunity to win the race. He should yep. he should have won the race, and mm-hmm. then suddenly you see Verstappen in your rearview mirror, and then psychologically you just start to break down, and it's like okay, I'm slow now. Mm-hmm. No, nobody enjoys being Max's teammate. Nobody enjoys being Perez, and Perez doesn't. <laughs> I think. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Especially um, during that awkward moment with the, yeah. <laughs> with the announcer. Exactly. Exactly. Y- y'all have to watch that. I mean, type yeah. in Sergio Perez Vegas awkward, um, awkward moment. Tri- yeah, awkward yeah. moment. Or like track walk. Yeah. It's it's incredible. Um, let me just see if there's anything else we've missed about the race. I mean, turn one, Verstappen pushing Leclerc wide, aggressive. Um, but I think it was okay. And he willingly accepted that penalty. He was like, send my regards, thank you. Yeah, because he just knew he was so far ahead. Signs tagging Hamilton, Stroll getting turned around, hitting Bottas, Bottas, poor guy. I mean, he had a four-leaf clover on his suit, I think that's why. But Stroll had an incredible recovery in yes. the race, right? Almost from dead last to P5. Yes, so... Kudos to him for that one. Another driver that we've been bashing a lot. You, yeah, credit where it's due, mm-hmm. not too bad. Piastri and Hamilton getting a puncture from both of them just hitting their front and rear tires together. Sad to see. Um, Verstappen and Russell colliding. This was a big one. Russell getting a penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, even with that collision, Verstappen can convincingly win the race. You know, again, that's just rubbing salt in the wound of 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 Perez's gaping heartache. <laughs> yeah. Of a career. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, actually, I put here Stroll P five. I I wrote down here, guys. We need to credit him. Have we credited him enough? Can, can we move well, on? Well, we can credit him now, and then let's move on. Okay, done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's go on to our fan questions. Thank you so much, everybody, for writing in. You have one more race. We only have Abu Dhabi left for you to put in your questions. So whether it's pre-weekend, post-weekend, during the race itself, please send them in to any of us directly on DMs or onto Suited and Booted uh, on our social media pages. First question. From a racing driver's perspective, how difficult would those early laps in Vegas have been, considering that the last time they drove the track, they had full grip in qualifying, and it's suddenly now very oily and slippery? Should F1 have allowed a practice session or something to help clean the track before the race started? No. Why? Well, safety is one thing. The track being oily, obviously, there, there were reasons for that, which probably the FIA had missed. But if the track really was oily... Um, like like visible oil on track, they wouldn't have allowed the race to start unless they cleaned it up. But if it was oily because the tarmac is seeping oil out from, uh, like like we have that a lot, like in like back in karting days as well, when mm. they lay a new lay a new layer of tarmac on under immense heat, oil starts to seep out because it hasn't been sat there for long enough. Yeah, and that's probably what happened. 
Um, it's it's nothing to fuss about. These guys have enough experience. They have tire warmers. Um, they have multiple engineers in their ears telling them, all right, just like watch out for this, that, and that. Your tire temps are, you know, like they, they'll keep them noted on their tire temps, their brake temps. So, in, in I mean, in my opinion, like you just drive given whatever circumstances you have, right? Um, and not not whinge about it. Just go and do the job. No, I mean, that, that that's completely fair enough. I think if it was bad enough, yes, the engineers could have flagged it to the FIA. Maybe it could have gone to a vote. We see that when the races are very, very wet um, before start, sometimes you can do your observation laps, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they could have put it to a vote to do a two-lap observation lap. Of course, it gets super complicated with your tire strategy, fuel loads, all that kind of stuff. You know, you're kind of like, mm, if I do those two extra laps, does that affect what we want to do? You know, if we're starting on softs, but you want to pit after however many laps, does that affect your strategy? So yeah, I don't think it was the end of the world, but maybe something that that could have been a bit more democratized in terms of decision. Number two, while the race wasn't boring, did F1's $500 million gamble pay off, considering the amount of disruptions it had on the local community leading up to the race? Does Vegas have a local community outside of casinos? <laughs> I'm <laughs> kidding. I've, I've never been. Yeah. Uh, likewise. <laughs> Maybe it affected all the gambling. I think it would have helped. Um, I don't know. I, I think that that is a very interesting uh, statistic to look at in the sense of calculating ROI, right? Your return on investment. Because does Singapore have a higher ROI? You know, your your budget put in versus your your value derived out of it. And maybe if those calculations were considered, and I'm sure they are, it would help us to prioritize which tracks to keep mm-hmm. in the calendar mm-hmm. and which ones to cull because... I think, again, everybody wants a shorter calendar. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think Las Vegas, like the ROI that they've predicted, in, in my opinion, would be shorter, if anything, compared to uh, places like Singapore um, because of the casinos. You know, it's no different. Like when we spoke earlier in this in this podcast about Macau, you have so many tourists going in. Um, the amount they spend at the casino alone is good enough to finance basically the whole thing. So bit of a, I mean, it's, it's an in- interesting question. Quick maths. Yeah. Uh, okay, last question. We heard the word graining a lot throughout the weekend. How does this affect a driver's ability to get their tires up to temperatures and within the right operating window? Just drive to a point, adapt to the situation, and stop the graining. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what Max Verstappen would say, I think. That's, that's like going like, to a friend that's like depressed yeah. and being yeah. like, have you tried being less sad? Yeah. <laughs> like, stop overshooting the corner, stop putting in so much uh, st- uh, steering angle, stop grading the tires. I don't know. I mean, it, it really depends. Like, if the graining is happening not because of the driving style or... Of, of, of the driver or, or how the car is maneuvering around the circuit. You know, it's something that Pirelli has to look at also, you know, together with the teams to see what they can do. But the drivers, like, you know, from a driver's point of view, you just do the job. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter what tires you're on. It would be the same for everyone else. So you just manage it the best way you can. I mean, the question asked, does it, I mean, how, okay, how does it affect the driver's ability? One, it does affect the driver's ability, right? And, and it goes back to that comparison we were making at the start of the show where back in the day or in early junior formulas racing go-karts, you're not really thinking about tire degradation, graining, or any of those things. You are just driving as hard as you can to be the fastest person on track every single lap. So how does it affect your ability now when you know graining is going to be there? 
It means it, that you're going to back off. You're I, changing your driving style. I, I, not I the think, limit. Like, like, I think the question how it would affect your ability is not so much how it would affect it, but how it would show if you do have the ability to manage those, you know, manage those ties if you did have graining. Yeah. And it does beg the question, right? Like the driver that wins is the driver that can best manage things like graining, degradation, etc. But those aren't necessarily techniques that you would have used to be the champion earlier on in your career, mm-hmm. right? So you could be the fastest driver ever by being able to extract every inch of performance from the tires. But it doesn't mean that you're the best at dealing with tire wear. Yeah, you could right? be a one-lap wonder. But if you're slow for the next nine laps, what's the point? Your average will still be slower. Exactly, exactly. So it's very, very complicated. I mean, you've got track evolution, you've got the track surface, you've got tire compounds, you've got temperatures, you've got track temperature, air temperature, all of these things coming into play. You've got your driving style. If you're a Fernando Alonso type that likes that understeer where you're just scrubbing the front tires and really aggressive on the steering wheel, there are so many different factors. The Mm -hmm. chassis that you drive, one car is different from another car. Mm -hmm. Um, So the one summarizing word is difficult. Now, what is also difficult is choosing our win it or bin it. I haven't really done this yet, (laughs) uh, but let's... uh, just give me like five seconds to... I'm just going to wing it. You're going to wing it? I feel yeah. like we always wing it. Um, not wing it, win it. Win it. Win it. All right. Oh, this is tough. <laughs> this is tough. All right, three, two, one. All right, three, <laughs> two, one. Stroll. Ah, oh, you, you left me hanging, mate. Stroll? Why Why stroll? <laughs> well, well, I, I thought it was impressive. Impossible. Him coming from P19 to P5. Um, Fair enough. I, I could have easily said Max, you know. Um, I, I was going to say that as well because it's kind of yeah. like you do have this domination. He did yes. fall back and come back up to the front. Yeah. But it's like, I don't know, he, it's so boring. He, uh, exactly. Like he, he was in pure domination, right? But yeah, I thought I thought Stroll deserved a bit of credit for that. I'll give him a, I'll give him a small win it. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say Perez. Oh, Perez. I feel so wrong. Like no. my entire being... <clears throat> Because he did fight back, he is claiming P2 in the championship. He is doing what he needed to do. So yeah, we've bashed him all season, but he got P2 in the end. So true, but he lost P3. Th- he, he lost P2 he lost on P1. the last well, lap. And he, <laughs> and, oh, yeah, so, so he, so he, he got P3. Yeah, he was P3. No, I take that back. Oh my God, I forgot. <laughs> no, okay. Le- Le- Leclerc, oh, I don't know. I'm just going to skip. Let's go to Bennett. <laughs> Three, two, one, Gasly. I actually haven't thought about the bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I left you hanging on the other one. I don't know. I think he had such a good, strong showing at the start. You know, he was... Uh, Started P5. P5. And then he was just out of the points. And he got hop, skip, jumped by his own teammate that started outside of the points. And Ocon finished in P4. Fair right? enough. So I think uh, that was very, very depressing for him. Yep. Uh, would not want to be him. All right, looking forward to next race. Also, our last race of the season, Abu Dhabi, uh, 24th to the 26th of November. Yes, Marina. So it is this weekend. A lot to look out for. Uh, FP1 is going to be entirely rookie drivers driving the cars. We've got some interesting names coming in. You've got Jake Dennis, Mm -hmm. uh, who was a huge name in go-karts when Ron and I were racing. He's going to be testing for Red Bull. We've got uh, Patrick O'Ward from McLaren. Oliver Behrman, a big driver to to keep an eye out for in the Haas. Drugovic in the Aston. uh, Theo Porcher 
in the alpha, amongst many, many more. So uh, take a look out for the next generation of F1 talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see who's going to win. I feel like it's going to be Max again. Who's going to Ma- be P2? Yeah, yeah. I think I think Max is... Sh- shall we have a quick prediction on the top three okay. for, for next weekend? Max? I say Max as well. He's going to win. Uh, P2, I'd say Perez. Yeah, I... Th- um... I see Perez P2 and Sainz P3. I think Verstappen Leclerc Sainz. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay, write that down, guys. We'll, we're going to see what, what happens. Uh, if if I get this right, uh, Ron's going to sponsor me to go around Evolve for free. <laughs> yeah, track walk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go around his track yeah. on my legs. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Don't forget to vote for us. Uh, on the Shock Podcast voting platform. Uh, the award ceremony is very, very soon, so we need to lock in all of your votes. Don't forget to tune in, subscribe, rate us five stars on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Uh, my name's Daniel Woodruff. I'm Weir Tan. That was Suited and Booted. Take care and drive safe.